I'm wearing church clothes tonight. Comfortable clothes. And uh, we want you to meet us there. All right, guys. So can you, can you give me 15 minutes just to give you this, this one part of God didn't say that? I was supposed to end this series today, but I'm not finished yet. So we're going to continue God didn't say that for a couple of more weeks. Is that all right? So, so let me do this real quick. Let me do this real quick. It says in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I want to talk from this subject for 14 minutes. Here it is. I can't do this by myself. <laughs> I can't do this by myself. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, there are a number of words that are often used to describe the nature and the character of God. But today I want to lift up one that used to be common, but in our current contemporary over intellectualized Christian context has become more foreign. I think some people need to be informed and the rest of us need to be reminded that your God is a miracle worker. Let me say it one more time because I should have got a better amen than that. I said some of us need to be informed and others of us need to be reminded that our God is a miracle worker. Yes. Yeah. By that I mean it is in God's nature. <laughs> it is in his nature. It is in his makeup. It is a part of his ontological existence to orchestrate anomalies. He can't help it. It's a part of who he is. He performs them on accident. It doesn't even require intentionality for us to experience the unusual. I can say this with confidence because I was reading what Mark, the spiritual son of Peter, wrote in the Gospel of Mark chapter number five when he informs us of an experience that a woman with an issue of blood had. The Bible says that for 12 long years she dealt with this uncontrollable, unarrestable issue of blood. And she heard that Jesus was passing by. And she said to herself, because sometimes you're dealing with secret struggles, so you can't expect external encouragement. See, some, did, you, did you hear what I said? Sometimes you're dealing with a secret struggle. It's a private struggle. It's a struggle that's not exposed to the average eye. So I can't expect external encouragement when I'm dealing with an internal struggle. So as opposed to being at the mercy of somebody else's encouragement, she took responsibility for her own encouragement and said, since people don't know enough about what I'm going through to encourage me, I decided I will encourage myself. 
Let me go to this side and see if I can get an amen. And people who don't understand the power and the importance of self-talk will label you and describe you as crazy because you talk to yourself. But what they don't realize is that you got a revelation they don't have. And what they don't know is the only reason I'm not crazy is because I know how to talk to myself. Because in some of your life, everybody's pulling from you. In some of your life, you are encouraging everybody else. And because they see you so strong, they think you never get weak. So they assume you don't need what they need because you don't wear your weakness the way that they wear it. Just because I'm not wearing it doesn't mean I'm not weak. Every now and then. I get low on faith and low on zeal and low on encouragement. And I need somebody in my life to be able to see what the average I can. She said to herself, if I could, could but touch. She didn't even say, I need to touch him. They missed it, Mike. She said, I just need to touch what's touching him. If I could touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And the Bible says she pressed her way through the crowd. And some people would have missed their miracle. Because they are unwilling to navigate the obstacle of people. You'd be amazed at how many people let people stop them from getting to Jesus. Let me go to this side again. But she pressed her way through the crowd. And the Bible says she touched him. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' daughter. He's walking and he stops and he says, who touched me? The disciples say, it's a gang of people following you. Everybody is touching you. And he says these words, no, I felt virtue. You, didn't, you missed it. He said, I felt virtue go out of me. He didn't say, I sent virtue out of me. He said, I felt virtue go out of me. I wasn't even aware of this woman. And even though a lot of people are touching me, when faith touched me, it feel different. Y'all missed it. It's like he's saying, I know a lot of people are doing the same thing, but they're not getting the same results because it doesn't work the same when faith doesn't touch me. But when it's done with faith, even when I'm not focused on you, virtue responds to faith. And the woman gets healed and Jesus has to ask who it is. He can't help it. It's a part of his goodness and his godness. He's just a miracle worker. He initiates and he orchestrates anomalies. Mm -hmm. Pastor Darius, what's an anomaly? 
Come on, 1230, shout back at your pastor, say, me. me. Y'all just say it on that side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. Go to the Webster's Dictionary and look up the word anomaly, and you will see a picture of my face by the word. Because anomaly means exception. Anomaly means deviation. Anomaly means rule breaker. Anomaly means pattern shifter. Anomaly means it was going a certain way until it got to me. I don't know who I'm talking to, but where are the anomalies in the building on today? An anomaly is when God makes something happen that shouldn't happen, couldn't happen, and wouldn't happen unless he made it happen. And when you look back over your life, you've got indisputable, undeniable evidence that God has made some stuff happen that shouldn't happen, couldn't happen, and wouldn't happen unless he made it happen. That previous experiences are not accurate indications of future possibilities. That you can't look at what happened with everybody like me and then tell what's possible for me. That you can't look at what happened with everybody who is my age and tell me what's possible for my age. That you can't look at everybody who is my gender and tell me what's possible for my gender. That you can't look at everybody who came from where I come from and tell me what's possible for me. I know what happened with them, but I'm not them and they not me. Because my God is a God that makes exceptions. Anomalies. He's a, a miracle worker. He suspends or alters natural rules to accomplish his sovereign purpose. So there's natural laws and natural order that he set in place. But when the natural law and the natural order interferes with what he wants to accomplish, he will suspend it or alter it. And he will say to nature, if you do what you normally do, you're going to get in the way of what I'm trying to do. So I'm going to press pause on you until I do what I'm trying to do in their life. Then I'll release you to go back to doing what you normally do. So if God's trying to get you to a promised land called Canaan and you're making your exodus out of Egypt and Pharaoh is behind you and a body of water called the Red Sea is in front of you and God's intention is to get you to the other side. God, who speaks the language of everything he created. Y'all missed that. You didn't know water has ears. But God knows how to get to the ears of water. He speaks water. And he spoke to the water and said, I know you normally stay in place. But I got to get Israel to the other side. So I need you to split. And I need you to form a wall. So that they can walk through on dry ground. And when my people get through and Pharaoh try to follow him, follow them. I want you to go back to your normal position. 
Because pharaohs drown when they try to follow a word God didn't give them. Did you hear what I just said? And that's why some people are drowning because they're trying to follow what you did when they don't have your word. Y'all miss what I just said. They can copy your style. They can copy your swag. They can copy your look. They can copy your strategy, but you can't copy my favor. I got a word. He will suspend a natural rule to accomplish his sovereign purpose. He will say to nature, if you do what you normally do, you get in the way of what I'm trying to do. He's a miracle worker. If you believe that, say yes. Okay, here it is. Here it is, 1230. Well, it's 1245 today. So here it is, 1245. Here it is, family. Don't miss this. Uh, There's something... As I close, something we need to understand about miracles. That there's something God didn't say about miracles that we need to know if we're going to experience them. And here it is. God did not say that miracles were magic. This is no abracadabra kazam. Did you hear what I just said? Yes. Treating miracles like magic is simply this. It's expecting the manifestation of a miracle without human participation. Did you hear what I just said? It is expecting God to do his part without us being willing to do ours. Miracles, as we see them in scripture, are more often than not, there are some exceptions, but more often than not, they are the result of divine sovereignty that marries human participation. And the result of divine sovereignty marrying human participation is the miracle. A miracle is a manifestation of divine grace. And grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. Come on here. That my effort is what the Bible calls my works. Hiya. And the Bible says that my works are actually what reveal whether or not I have faith. So there are, did you hear what I just said? There are people that are assuming they're walking by faith when they're actually just living with optimism. You don't even have to believe in God to say everything will work out. Y'all aren't talking to me over here. I said there are people who don't even believe in God that say everything will work. You don't have to even believe in, in the existence of a creator to have positive thinking. But if you want a miracle, if you want an anomaly, you're going to need more than positive thinking and optimism. You're going to need a persuasion and a conviction that is based on a revelation that comes from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. 
Did you hear what I just said? And hearing what? Hearing the word of God. So optimism just believes. But faith is a conviction. It is being persuaded. Greek word is pistis. It is a trust. It is a persuasion. I've been persuaded. My God, I wish I had some old school saints here. I've been persuaded. I wish I had some, some saints that went to vacation Bible schools. I, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, I've, I've, been, I've been persuaded. It means that I've had some experiences that have persuaded me out of doubt into belief. Here it is. You can't make me doubt him. I know too much about him. I've been persuaded. It is a persuasion. It's a belief. It's a conviction that produces a corresponding action called works. So, so the reason I know I've got faith and not just optimism is that my faith produces works that correspond with what I say I believe. Did you hear what I just said? So let's take Noah for example. Let me wrap up. Let's take Noah for example. God told Noah it was going to rain, right? And that a lot of people would be destroyed because of the flood. Optimism says, I'm going to be all right and just waits for it to rain. Faith says, I'm building an ark. Did you hear what I just said? It's it's, it's evidence. Here's what James says. He says, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. But no, I believe. He said, you believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. Uh Uh-oh. And shudder. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he The enemy knows there's power in the doing. And so this is why he wields a weapon called discouragement. He wants to use discouragement to stop you from doing because he knows God will always do his part. So the way he stops us from experiencing the manifestation of miracles is to discourage us to the degree that we don't do our part. But I'm talking to some people at the 1230 service that knows that the devil is a liar. And I don't know who this is for, but in the words of Nike, just do it. I'm crying, do it crying. I'm mad, do it mad. I'm sad, do it sad. I'm confused, do it confused. I'm discouraged, do do it discouraged. Do it anyway, because if you will do your part, God. will do his. And an example of this, I'm done, Tario. An example of this is seen in 1 Kings in our text here. The Bible exposed us to an incident with an individual named Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Elijah. Exposed us to an incident with him during a season and a time of famine. And the Bible says that God provides for him during the famine. But he provides for him by giving him instruction. He says, I want you to go to a brook called Cherith. 
So it's a famine and it's a drought and he tells them to go to a brook. Elijah's probably like, this is not making sense, but you don't walk by sense. Them senses aren't always sensing. Walk by faith. So he goes to a brook in a drought. And he's probably thinking, I'm going to the, God, why are you sending me to a brook when the water is getting ready to dry up? And he's like, I'm not always sending you to a place for the reason you think I'm sending you. You think you're going there for the water, but you're really going there for the ravens. He said, I have commanded. Y'all aren't talking to me. He says, I I, I need you to get to the brook Cherith because I've commanded ravens to feed you there. He says, so the answer to your prayer is waiting on you at the place that I'm sending you. So if you're wondering where your answer is, it's where you're supposed to be. And if you get to where you're supposed to be, you'll see what you've been requesting. He says, I've commanded ravens to feed you there. Now, ravens are ravenous birds. Ravens, like any other bird, don't feed people. You've never seen birds dropping food in people's mouth. Birds don't feed people. People feed birds. But when God is determined to get something, he will temporarily change the nature of a thing. And he'll make takers temporarily become givers to sustain you in a season. Come on here. He will make haters become elevators. He will make people who close doors open doors. He will give them godly temporary insanity where they lose and suspend their logical train of thought. They open a door for you and by the time they realize like Pharaoh what they've done it's too late. I'm in here now. I got to go and the Bible says And the brook dried up. Why are you sending me to a place that's going to dry up? I think this is, God does things like this. One of the reasons to address an unconscious faith shift. Pastor, what do you mean? See, it's possible unconsciously for your faith to shift to the brook. Y'all missed it. At first, it's in God. And then God sends you to the brook and the brook starts supplying you. And then all of a sudden, the brook is supplying you so long, you don't know. You've shifted your faith from God to the brook. Come on here. You've shifted your faith from God to the job. You've shifted your faith from God to the company. You've shifted your faith from God to the person. Y'all aren't talking to me. You've shifted from God to the brook. And God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let that dry up because I need to remind you it was never the brook. It was never them. It was never there. It was never the brook. It was always me. Tario play. This is the longest church service in the history of change. But we had some business we had to handle today. I'm done. So then he says, I'm sending you to Zarephath. I'm sending you to a widow woman. So you send me to a brook who's drying up. Now you're sending me to a woman whose husband's died. 
in a historical context where women were treated like property. So she couldn't even really fend for herself. And Elijah goes to the woman and the woman's like, uh, like uh, gathering sticks and he said, what, what, what are you getting ready to do? She says, well, all I have is a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm getting ready to go bake a cake for me and my son so we can eat it. This is all we got. So after this, we're probably going to die. The prophet says to her, all right, go make one for me first. <laughs> She's probably like, what? Because <laughs> she said, I only have a little flour and a little oil. She's looking at her only. Prophet said, make it for me first. So come on now. So, so if you listen without the filter of offended feelings, you'll, you'll hear something that offense will make you miss. She's talking about only. The prophet says first. There is no first if there's no second. There is no first if there's no second. The prophet's like, I'm getting ready to show you a way. How to have more without getting more. So she takes the flour, she takes the oil. And the Bible says she makes a cake for him. And somehow, she's able to make not only food for him, but for her and her son, and for her and her son, and for her and her son. And the Bible says it didn't run out. See, there are different types of miracles. There's miracles of addition, right, where God adds. There's miracles of subtraction, like Gideon, where he takes away. Then there's miracles of sustaining. Well, he doesn't give more. He doesn't take away. He says, but I'm going to take what you got. And I'm going to make it supernaturally last. This woman gets a miracle. Not just because of divine sovereignty, but human participation. What would she have missed? if she didn't do what she could with what she had. Here's what's scary, Marlon. When you read the story, because they were being sustained, Elijah stayed around. And a little bit later, her son gets sick. And the son dies. And the Bible says she goes to Elijah. What would she have done if Elijah wasn't there? But Elijah wouldn't be there if she hadn't done what she did. Because some things God tell you to do and you don't know why he tell you to do it to another chapter. Y'all missed this. She probably thought that God sent Elijah here just to give me these, this provision for this season. And God's like, you have no idea that you're about to have a need in the future that cannot be met with that oil and flour. And the Bible says that Elijah says, where's the boy? And he goes up to where the boy is and he lays on top of the boy. And the Bible says he calls on God to bring that boy back to life. And the boy breathes again and he brings the boy back to come on here back to his mother because I want you to see this 
Because faith goes into your future. For problems you don't know you're going to have yet. But it all happened because this woman was willing to participate. Your miracle is on the other side of instruction that don't make sense. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Now, Pastor, what does this woman represent? She represents, she's a woman, so she, she's female gender. The New Testament describes the church in the female gender. In the New Testament, the church is a she. Paul calls her the bride of Christ. Am I right? So this woman can represent the church generally, and she can represent change church. Because this woman had a son she was responsible for. Now, change church doesn't have natural children, but we got people we're responsible for. And we got needs that we can't meet on our own. We got people God wants us to take care of spiritually. And we need a house to house those people. We need room to take care of those people. That's who the son represents. And the way we get this miracle is the way the woman got the miracle. What did she give? She gave what she had. And all God asked for and all he's asking for from us on December the 10th is what we have. And he says, you think this is about flower. You think this is just about the legacy campaign. You think this is just about a building, but you have no idea what sun in your future is going to die. <laughs> you have no idea what need you're going to need me to meet in the future that can't be fixed with a check that flour and oil can't fix and because I'm a God that remembers faithfulness the Bible says Hebrews God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love in that you have ministered to the saints God said I, one thing I don't do when it comes to your good deeds is I don't forget. I don't forget. And when you encounter a problem in your future that only I can fix, I remember your faithfulness. I remember because of your willingness to take care of Elijah, which represents somebody else, I'm gonna take care of, because of your willingness with a woman to take care of who matters to me, I will make sure that I take care of who matters to you. Elijah represents the people we hadn't reached yet, the lives we hadn't changed yet that matter to God. And God's like, if you help me reach those that matter to me, I will raise up those that matter to you. In Jesus' name. Let's go.